Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Merry Christmas. Thank you for coming to the Gate Christian Bible Church. I want to show a video. This is a video of something that happened in the subway in New York City a few years ago. So why don't we roll that? These are people hustling and bustling. And there's a violinist over here in the corner. It's hard to see. But he set up his violin. He's playing. And people are just walking by. Here's the thing about that violinist. He's not just some ordinary violinist. His name is Joshua Bell. He's a well-known, renowned violinist. In fact, a few nights before this, he packed a house at $100 a ticket and sold it out. But notice, people are just walking by. They don't even notice how incredibly blessed they are to be in such wonderful, gifted music being played in the subway. By the way, he's playing on a $3.5 million Stradivarius. (laughs) In the subway, so... I think we're a lot like those people. I don't know about you, but hustling, bustling around, missing Christmas, missing the joy. I prayed this morning, Lord, help me not to miss the joy of Christmas and the hope that I have in Christ. We're in the second part of a series called Making Christmas Great Again, because Christmas is great, but I think we've diminished it in our culture. In essence, the music of Christmas has been stifled, so to speak. But we, the church, should not stifle Christmas. We should talk a lot about Christmas. We should talk a lot about everything about Christmas. Because without Christmas, we have no hope. You know, it was a hot July summer day in 1945 in Toluca Lake, California, Singer-songwriter Mel Torme, if anyone remembers him, showed up for a writing session with his writing partner Bob Wells. So he walks over to the piano, and there resting on the piano was a pad of paper with these four lines written on it. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose, Yuletide carols being sung by a choir, and folks dressed up like Eskimos. When Wells Mel Torme's writing partner walked in the room. He was dressed in his tennis shorts and a t-shirt. And Mel Torme asked him about this poem. He said, it's so hot today, I thought I'd write something to cool myself off. So I thought about Christmas and cold weather and the chestnuts reminding me of when I was a kid in Boston and their vendors on the street that would sell these warm roasted chestnuts in a cone. And uh, Torme said, hey, I think you might have something here. (laughs) So in 45 minutes, the rest of the song, the Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting on Fire, was written. And it's a song of hope. It's like saying, please transport me from this hot summer day to the cool days of Christmas. And it was inspired by childhood memories. Do you have any childhood memories of Christmas? Christmas is great for lots of reasons, but most of all, Christmas is great because it brings hope. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You know the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? 1946, that movie was made. Who's the star? Jimmy, I love Jimmy Stewart. 
He gave up his dreams to help other people, and he had a lot of controversy and pain, which led to his imminent suicide attempt on Christmas Eve. But as luck would have it, his guardian angel (laughs) intervened and revealed to George how much his life had meant to others because Christmas brings hope. You know the song Silent Night, right? Sleep in heavenly what? Peace. But here's the thing. If you don't have hope for the future, you're not going to have peace in the present. A friend of mine says, if your pastor isn't teaching about the future, you know, eschatology, the end times, you won't have hope to cope. Because if we don't have hope for the future, we can't cope in the present. And so Christmas is all about hope. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 is a very famous verse. Read it with me. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now last week we talked about love, but look at where hope, hope is like the top three things that remain because you can't have hope without faith, obviously, because faith is where it begins. And faith to me is like the car. You know, you're in the car, you're in Christ, in, by faith. But hope is like the fuel that runs the engine. And if you don't have hope, you're going to run out of gas. The hope of Christmas is found in God's Son. In John 1.14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're going to go through this a little deeper, but this is called the incarnation. The incarnation is the doctrine or the teaching where God became a man. He took on human nature. Why? Why did God do that? Why would he bother? Because here's the thing. Did God have to do anything except be God? I mean, he's self-fulfilled, right? There's nothing that he needs outside of himself to make him complete. Unlike us, we need external relationships, things like that, to make us. But God doesn't need anything outside of himself. So why would he go to this? Well, how many dog lovers do we have today? My dogs, they don't speak my language, right? They don't comprehend. I always wonder, I wonder if they like even know what I am. He's a dog. So he's of the canine nature, right? So the incarnation accomplishes two things. God became man so that we can know and understand him and so that he could speak to you. So that's one thing, because John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has what? Made him known. So Jesus Christ makes God known to us. Secondly, God became man so that he could understand our pain. Because God is perfect. He has no defect. He suffers no pain. But God sent his son to live a human life with a human body, with pain, with tribulation. Any pain, any emotion that we feel, Jesus felt. And that's how he could take your place on the cross. In fact, Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but we have a high priest who has been tempted in all things 
yet, what? Without sin. Now, some translations say, but did not sin. I think that lacks in explanation because the Greek, chorisa martias, is without sin. I think it's important to understand that even though Jesus came as a human being, he was without sin. Now, how does that work? Because of the virgin birth. The virgin birth is the mechanism by which Jesus would take on flesh, but not sin, because the sin is passed through the Father's deed. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. So sin is passed down through generation. But who is Jesus' father? God. So you take the sin. He's without sin, but yet still a human being. So he still felt. See, that's why he's the perfect lamb of God. You can't be perfect if you have sin. Right? So that's important to understand. And at just the right time, hope shows up. And Paul writes in Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, so not early, not late, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, that's the humanity part, under the law. Now, why was it important that Jesus be born at a time when the Mosaic law was still in effect? Because he had to fulfill the law. And the Bible tells us the purpose behind the law is this. Paul writes in Romans, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, So being under the law meant you would have to pay the penalty of breaking the law. So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared right or righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. So no one can earn their way to heaven. Rather, this is the purpose of the law. One of them. Through the law, we become what? conscious of our sin. If the law was not there to show us God's parameters and what he expects, we would never know when we fall short, right? And then there's another purpose behind the law. Galatians, Paul writes, therefore the law has become our what? Tutor, to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. So in other words, the law is tutoring us and all the people that have lived, in order that, oh, I can't do that. I can't keep the law. Well, of course not. That leads us to Christ, who kept the law. And then when we place our faith in Christ, we are in Christ, and it's as if we have kept the law. Does that make sense? That's incredible hope. Because if you're trying to keep the law, what is it about? I fought the law and the... Law one. Okay, you're never going to beat the law. Matthew 5.17 says, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets of the whole Old Testament. I did not come to abolish, but what? To fulfill. Did he fulfill the law? Yes, he's perfect. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled God's law. And like I said, when someone places their faith in Christ, they are justified not in their works, but by their faith in Christ, you are not guilty, justified by faith. So only Jesus kept the law. 
In Galatians, it says again, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the son, born of the woman, born under the law. Why did Jesus do that? To redeem. What's redeem mean? Purchase back, pay, rescue, or ransom those who were under the law. So being under the law meant you were subject to the law. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the Christmas hope, that God would come as a man and live a life that none of us could live and then die on the cross in my place as the perfect, sinless, eternal sacrifice. And then when I come to faith in Christ, I receive all that Jesus is. And when God sees me, he sees me through the eyes of his son, Jesus, who died for me. That is incredible hope. Think about how many people are not receiving the gift of Christmas. And hopefully you have and you will. If not, you will today. So Christmas offers us that, but also Christmas offers us hope for a better life. Christmas offers us hope for a better life. I love the opening of the Gospel of John. Here's why. I love the whole Word of God a lot, okay? And all the Gospels are awesome. Matthew and Luke, how do they start off their Gospel? With the nativity. How does John start off his Gospel? With the divinity, all right? He goes back before the manger, and he starts speaking of Jesus in his eternal form, and that's why he starts out by saying, in the beginning was the Word. Now, if anybody were reading that, you would naturally hearken back to the beginning of the entire Bible, where it starts off with what? In the beginning. So what's John doing? It's so obvious. He's saying, in the beginning, God created. And guess what? In the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? The Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because the whole gospel is about Jesus Christ. But he starts off by saying he's the word. He's the message of God. That's why he became flesh, to speak. And his word is documented in the Bible. So we have the word, and God gave us the word, Jesus Christ. So in the beginning was the word, and then he goes on, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, what's the beginning? The beginning. So there's nothing before, only eternity. In the beginning, Jesus, the Word, was with God, but he was also God. Now, there's some cult religions, specifically Jehovah Witness. They point to this verse as evidence that Jesus is not God, but a God. Now, why? In the Greek language... The article, the, you know, like you would use that, the thing, the God, whatever, is not there where it says, and the word was God. So they're saying that it should be the word was a God, because John didn't use the article, the God. There's two reasons why that's theologically incorrect. First, there are many other passages that do the same thing. For instance, John 1.49 says, you are the king of Israel, but it doesn't have the article there. 
But more importantly, look at the logic behind that. If John would have added the article, the, so if he would have written, and the word was the God, that would be confusing, right? What is he talking about? The word is the God. But secondly, this is where we have to infer the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, because Jesus is the Son. If he was saying the word is the God, then what about the Father and the Holy Spirit? That would leave them out. Jesus is God. Jesus became a man. Now John goes on to give us incredible insight to what the word Jesus Christ was doing in the beginning. Verse 3, all things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. So what did Jesus do at the beginning in Genesis? What part did he play in the creation story? The one who spoke creation into existence. Is that amazing? If you look at the first three verses of Genesis, he's there. He became flesh so that he could speak to us. He spoke creation into existence, but now he speaks to us. The word Jesus Christ. Think about that. He is the creator of all things and nothing exists apart from him. So can we all agree that was some incredible baby at the manger, right? Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That is the hope of Christmas, that I can receive life. Now, I have physical life, right? But what happens when this body passes away? Is there a part of me that goes on eternally? Yes, every person has a soul and that part of you exists eternally. Now, there's two ways that part exists, with God or apart from God. With God would be heaven. Apart from God would be hell because who wants to be apart from God? But here's the thing. You always say, you know, when people reject God, why all of a sudden when they die, they want to be with God? This is why it's important to receive Christ, Christmas, here on this side of eternity so that you can be with him forever on that side of eternity. So here's the thing about Jesus. He spoke everything into existence, the creation, but he speaks the new creation into existence because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. So Jesus didn't only speak the old creation. When he speaks and you receive him, when the word is preached, or you hear about the gospel, the good news of Christ, and you receive the gospel, you receive Christ, what happens? You become a new creation. The new has come. And the life was the light of men. So Jesus is the life. He's the word. He's the light. So when someone receives Christ, what happens? The light comes on by the Holy Spirit, who is also referred to as the Spirit of Christ. Verse 5, sadly, John writes, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend or understand it. Now, John begins here to include in his gospel what we would say would be the rejection of Jesus. 
and he hearkens back to creation again, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and darkness was over the earth. Remember that part? And then God spoke, and what did he say? Jesus said what? Let there be light. And light came into existence because people can't live in the darkness physically. It's impossible. You have to have sunlight. You will die. So God made the earth hospitable for people. And he included things that we need. And one of them is sunlight. But Jesus is the light. And he's the sun. And God said, let there be light. And Jesus, the son of God, spoke. And then when he speaks and you receive Christ, you receive the light which is Christ, and the light bulb comes on. But some people decide that they want to stay in the dark. They don't want to understand. They reject the light. And this is an ongoing theme even today. But if you believe the word and you receive the light, you have life eternally, beginning at that moment And when the light comes on, things change. If you're saved and you're born of God's spirit, you're born again, born from above, that's how you've received the light. You've placed your faith in Christ. You receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, the moment you believe, and the light comes on. Now think about before the light came on. Would you find yourself in a church service? Maybe. I sat through church services, but I didn't understand one thing. Boring. Would you find yourself reading or wanting to read the Bible? Probably not. Would you find yourself wanting to hang out with Christians? Probably not. See, these are all evidence that the light came on. Because you want to be with God. You want to read about God. You want to learn about God. That doesn't happen outside of the Holy Spirit working in your life and turning the light on. The light came on and gave you life, but not just for this life, because Paul writes, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're people most to be pitied. But there's a lot of people who don't have life because they haven't received the light, and they don't have joy because they don't have hope. You know joy J-O-Y. It begins with Jesus. Jesus, others, you. Jesus has to be first in order to have real joy. So John ends his gospel, you know, in chapter 20. John writes about why he wrote this whole thing. He says, but these have been written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and that, what? Believing you may have life in his name. And that's the clarion call of the gospel. Receive Christ so that you can have life. Next, Christmas offers us hope for a better family. Not knocking your family. As much as we love our families, we didn't choose our family, right? I saw a sign the other day that said, nothing brings out family dysfunction like the holidays. Or I love this one, my family's temperamental, half temper and half mental. (laughs) So when you were born into this world, you became a part of the human race or mankind. But you were not part of a family till someone took you home to be a part of that family. You became a part of something that existed before you, your family. 
When you're born from above and you're born again, as the Bible speaks, by the Spirit of Christ, you are taken home to become a part of something that existed before you, which is God's family, the church. But here's the thing. The global church is kind of like being a part of the human race. You're part of the global family of God. But the local church is like being a part of your family at home. The local church is kind of like your immediate family. That's why it's important to be a part, a regular part of a local church so that you can be a part of God's immediate family. Now, the Gospel of John continues for a little while, and he switches to the witness, which is John the Baptist. John says, I came to witness to the light. I'm not the light. And we all should be like John. I'm not God. There is a God. I'm not him. It's Jesus Christ. And sadly, in chapter 1 of John, again, going back to that, in verse 10 11, he says, He, the light of Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And here's the sad part. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Again, this is an ongoing theme of the Gospel of John, and it's the same theme today. But here's the good news. John contrasts that with the next verse. He says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, meaning you believed in who he is, he gave the right to become children of God. Hallelujah. Is everyone that's born into the human race, now we're talking theologically, not what everybody is going to tell you, is everyone who's born into the human race automatically a child of God? How does someone become a child of God? Galatians 3.26, read it with me. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So how does one become a child of God? By faith in Christ Jesus. Every person is a creation of God, but not every person is a child of God. Does that make sense? Now, in fact, Jesus' own family, when they came to take him home, because they, it's not in the scripture, but it's pretty obvious that they thought he was a lunatic. And they're like, we got to take you home, Jesus. Please come with us. You know, we got to put you in a padded cell. They came to him. And his disciples said, hey, Jesus, your family's outside. And Jesus says something important. He says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven, he is my brother, sister, mother. He is my family. So what is the very first thing that God wants you to do if you haven't? What's God's will begin with? Accepting Jesus Christ. Receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by faith. That's the first step. If you haven't taken that step, you can't take other steps because you're outside of God's will until you come to faith in his son. And then next, Christmas brings us hope for a better future. So the incarnation didn't just affect the present. It affects the past and the future. It affects the past because the word became flesh and died in my place for my sins. Therefore, I can be forgiven. It affects the future because the word became flesh and died but didn't stay dead. You know that? Jesus is not still on the cross. He is in heaven. Where is he seated? The right hand of the Father. And what's he currently doing? Interceding for you, the church. Romans 6, 5 says, 
For if we have been united with him in a death like his, that's when you die to yourself and receive Christ, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, although the Christmas tree is of pagan heritage, they would bring in Christmas trees because they thought, and this was a long time ago in Germany, that they possessed magical powers because they remained green during the winter. That's why they were called evergreens. But we know that Jesus died on a tree, right? On the cross. And what was dead became evergreen. So I want to sing a song that I wrote a very long time ago, never recorded it, and I was hesitant to sing it, but I think it really encapsulates this idea of Jesus being from eternity. It's called The Cradle to the Cross. little child lying in a manger there a mom and dad are standing near they know who you are tiny hands so sweet time to close your eyes and sleep from the cradle to the cross we came to save the lost born on Christmas day wash my sins away God so loved the world he gave his only son little feet so still Wash my sins away. For God so loved the world, 
He gave His only Son that those who believe in Him shall not perish. Who believe in Him shall not perish. Those who believe in Him shall not perish. Those who believe in Him shall not perish. Lord, I Thank you. Question is, do you believe? And if you do, then you have the hope of Christmas living inside of you, which is Christ. You have a hope for the present, and you have hope for the future, and you have life eternal. And so John ends here in verse 16, 17. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And you read the commentaries, and there's all kinds of explanations about what John's trying to say there, grace upon grace. I believe that it's tied into the next statement in verse 17, where he says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I believe what John is saying, that grace upon grace is the old covenant was God's grace, and the new covenant is God's grace. And this is the new covenant based on God's grace as proclaimed truth by your faith that Jesus fulfilled the law and therefore instituted a better covenant because Hebrew says, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a what? Better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. That's the Christmas gift, the Christmas covenant, lived, died, and rose from the dead and fulfilled the law on your behalf. And it's a better covenant, not because the old one was bad. It's because this one's better. Hallelujah. We don't have to try to be good enough anymore. Christ is good enough. You don't have to do a bunch of things to try and get to heaven by God's approval. Christ did it all for you, except one thing he can't do for you. Let's believe. That's up to you. So let's bow our heads and pray. I encourage you to receive the gift of Christmas, the hope of Christmas, which is Christ. And you pray this in your heart if you want to receive the light, receive the life. You say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for living a life I couldn't live. Thank you for rising from the dead so that I can rise with you and be in heaven with you forever. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit and make me a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're committing your life to Christ or rededicating your life to Christ, maybe you need to be baptized as a believer. Maybe you need to become a member of a local church, and we'd love for you to consider becoming a member of the Gate Christian Bible Church. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what God's doing. Thank you again for coming, and I hope to see you next Sunday. God bless. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason. 
so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com. Amen.